0: Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at setting a new direction for your life. It's a it's a good way to begin a new year in thinking about the decisions that we make and how we want to live moving forward. And and today's passage of scripture is, (laughs) I could say this almost every week. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture because I've become more and more of a Bible nerd, and it's a good thing because. When, when you dig into it, you find incredible treasures, incredible things that give life to our experience, to our relationships, to the challenges that we're going through. And this passage is one that, uh, it's one I've known for a long, long time, but I'm so thankful that the Lord makes it new each time we encounter it. What we've been exploring is what it means to, as we looked at last week, to have our life be merged with Jesus or, or the term that I'm gonna to use today is to be united with him. The idea of being united with Jesus through faith in what he has done fills almost every page of the scriptures. Yet for so many, it is only a theory. It's only something that happens in heaven and not a present reality. Here, John the disciple, the, the one who... Identified himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, describes this union as a fellowship or oneness with Jesus and with other believers. Now, I want to back up a few verses from, from our main passage that Christine read for us, and let's go back to the very beginning of the chapter for the introduction where it says this. Uh, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This is concerning Jesus. John, um, the disciple, is, is using the same kind of imagery in this passage that he used in his gospel, where he talked about the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so he's using that same title because he he wants to follow up on the message that he's already given. And and he says, this is something I've experienced personally. He had the honor and privilege of walking side by side in the flesh with Jesus Christ. But his passage here is not just for that experience, it is for the present reality and to the people that he is writing to, and it is an experience, a reality for you and I. Look what he says. He says, he says the life was made manifest and we have seen it. This means that this is talking about the incarnation, Jesus taking on flesh and becoming human. We have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now when he says our joy, he's including all of us in that. So what he's saying in the very introduction is God has something for you that is a reality of being united with Christ, that is not just a spiritual term, it's not just some... um, uh, aspect that happens when you go to church. It is a moment-by-moment reality that should impact everything about your life, and when you discover it, it will change everything about you. Now, he uses the word fellowship. Another word that we, we often use for this is communion. Today, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion together as represented in the, uh, in the bread and in the cup representing Jesus' life being given for us. Its purpose is to remind us of what Jesus has done for us and um, and not only what he did on the cross, but what he continues to do for us. It's represented in the bread and in the cup, and we'll look at that in a few moments. But what is so significant here in this verse is John, he almost... If you could read this in the original language, what you would see is he's excited. He has a gift that he wants you and I to experience as a reality of this union with Jesus Christ on a, on a moment-by-moment <clears throat> basis. He doesn't want you to miss it. This intimate relationship that will transcend every circumstance and ultimately overflows with joy. Because here's the truth, God doesn't just wanna save you. He wants you to experience an ongoing communion with Jesus Christ, a sharing. It's the same idea uh, that we talked about last week in the merged life, we become united together. But today what I wanna do is take it a step further and help you to understand that this union with Christ has two very distinct aspects to it that sound very similar but they are radically different because oftentimes what happens is we may understand one side, but not the other. And if we don't have both halves of this union in our hearts and in our understanding and in our living, we will miss out on what God has for us and what he wants to do in and through us. So here's the two parts. The first one is that if you placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you are in Christ. You are hidden in him. We looked at this a couple weeks ago in Colossians chapter three, that your life, the real you, all your identity, your dreams, your hopes, all that makes you you is hidden with Christ. That's our security. That's, in, in the theological terms, that would be our justification. Your life is hidden with Jesus and the realest thing about you is already seated, secured with him. God's extravagant grace has called us to a rich relationship that we could never earn and never, ever pay back. We are justified by faith in Christ Jesus by grace alone and covered by his blood. That's the first part. First part of the union is you are in Christ. Now, the second part of the union is equally as important, and it means this, or simply is this, Christ is in you. And that's different It's not just our security, this is our transformation. This is what changes us. This is what gives us joy moment by moment because we can't necessarily experience our life hidden with Christ right now in heaven because we're not there. This is the the earthly part of changing us. This, in the theological terms, would be our sanctification, how we are changed. And both halves have to come together. Christ in you, the scripture says in in Colossians chapter 1, is the hope of glory. And by that it means his presence in you transforms you into Jesus' likeness. His life in you sustains you and calls you to a radical obedience that changes you to be like Christ. Those two go together extravagant grace and radical obedience. And both of them are the work of Jesus Christ for you and in you. If we just have one, it can lead to a misunderstanding of grace and we never, are, uh, we never encounter or live like God is truly holy. He is. And we need to remember that. In order for us to have a healthy relationship with God, we need to be overawed by his abundant goodness but also have a reverent fear of his perfect holiness. Without that, we don't know God. And God is not someone that we can put our full trust in. And if God is holy and God is good, then the response that he wants to work in you and in me is one of making us more like Jesus, a radical obedience. And the truth is... um, You only believe to the degree that you obey, and you only obey to the degree that you believe. What Jesus wants to do is to bring those two together and make it a reality in your life right now, an abundant, joyful life. Well, let's look at our main passage here and and, and jump down to verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, now it's, it's interesting that John is very um, strategic in what he is teaching here. He says, here's the important part of the message. Right at the very beginning, he says, this is what God is like. He doesn't start with you or with me or with our problem or with sin. He starts with God. And in order for us to walk united with Jesus, we must start by focusing on him and not on ourselves. And the question I have to ask myself is in reality, do I want or am I living like the focus is on me or is the focus more on God? He is starting there and he begins with with the believers pointing them to a reminder of who God is. That God is light. Nothing is hidden from him. When we encounter the presence of God, it is filled with a brilliance, an overwhelming warmth that reveals truth into every corner of our lives, which is both frightening and incredibly comforting. Here's why it's incredibly comforting. When you are in the brilliant light of God, everything about you is exposed. Everything that you would like to not have anyone else know about It's exposed in that light, like the most brilliant spotlight being shown right on your life. And that feels uncomfortable to the point until you realize this. God knows everything about you, and he wants you anyway. Isn't that good news? Nothing's hidden from from his sight, and he says, you know what? I see what you've done. I see what you're going to do. I see how far you've fallen short. I think I'll adopt you. I want you as my child. I want you as a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That is incredibly comforting, incredibly secure. No matter how bad we may have messed up our life, and when we think about, oh, God couldn't love me because you know I'm not like this person, forget all about that. All their junk's revealed in the brilliant light of God as well. And he knows everything about them, all the hidden things as well. And he says, I want you. I want you so much, I died for you. God is light, a symbol of purity, goodness, and perfection. But he also gives a contrast here of darkness. And darkness symbolizes ignorance, sinfulness, misery, corruption, and selfishness. That which robs us of life. And he's bringing a contrast. He says, do you want to live in the light or do you want to hold on to the darkness, to to hiding things where life truly cannot exist and grow and thrive? God wants us to enter into his brilliant presence. So the second thing I want to ask us is is this, because this is where it begins to get a little bit practical And it's begin asking a question, when you look at your life spiritually, right now, where you are, are you walking in God's grace, in his light, or are you weakened by guilt? He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? All. Every bit of it. Everything I've committed and will commit. Everything you've committed and will commit. He wants to cleanse us of that. Now, that's not a license for us to go out and do whatever we want, But it also is saying that Jesus has dealt with the penalty of our sin and he wants to make us secure. Now, I want to make a confession to you about this passage because for years I read this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. For years, I automatically translated that in my mind, not consciously, but subconsciously to something different than what it actually says. What I translated it into or applied it in my life was if I'm doing right, if I'm walking in the light, I I could almost, if I was really honest, I could almost say if I walk in the law. If I do the right things, if I do the things that my parents expected of me, the things the church expected of me, things my bosses expected of me, things my wife expected of me, if I did those things, then I was walking in the light. If I did good things, it was performance-based. But that's not what this is talking about. John is incredibly specific when he tells us exactly what the light is. The light is not your performance, good or bad, or my performance. The light is God's presence. He starts out by by defining God as light, and he says, if you walk in him, in his presence, then we have fellowship with one another. Then we have joy. Then our lives are made complete, And so to understand this passage, that's what we have to to, um, put our life into, is say, Lord, I want to walk in the brilliance of your presence. I want to walk united with you through faith in Jesus Christ. And the reason that's so significant is because otherwise the focus is on me and on you. When we focus on our performance, we're looking at the wrong thing. We're missing the very union that God wants us to enter into. Walking in the light is about walking in God's presence with him. It's not about us, but it is about Jesus. And the great news is God really, really does want you to spend day by day, moment by moment, united with him. What John wants us to understand is that this has been the plan from the very beginning. He wants us to recognize that there are barriers to our communion with God. And we need to recognize those so that we can get beyond the barriers and enter into the fellowship that God created for you and for me. If you remember back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, what God created, his original design was that he would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden, together. Side by side, they had a fellowship, a oneness. God still wants that with you and with me. Sin marred that, and, and it cost that intimacy, but Jesus came to give us life and to restore our union with God. And so he wants that same thing, and we see this theme all through the scriptures. You and I were made to walk with him we see this in the story of enoch in the old testament it says enoch walked with god and he was not for god took him he had understood what it meant to walk united with god so closely that god just said one day enoch you just come on home with me we're closer to my place than we are to your place anyway just come home he had that kind of intimacy And we see this in person after person in the scripture and it is not limited to some great saint who has a great track record because most of them don't in the scripture. Most of them messed up pretty badly. It is God's design for each and every one of us to have fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit and to walk in his presence. So we examine ourselves by this question. First of all, Have I been born again? But don't stop there. We don't want to stop just there and we don't want to just go to, do I have right beliefs? Do I have right doctrine? Right understanding? What we ultimately want to ask is am I walking with Christ? Not just am I making good moral decisions? Do other people think that I'm godly or spiritual? Who cares? The question is whether or not I'm walking with Christ because that's where life happens, walking daily, moment by moment with Him. What are the barriers? This passage shows us the barriers, and the Scriptures tell us the barriers to communion with God is, first, there is a legal barrier, and that is sin. That because of our sin, we're separated from God, and there's nothing we could do to pay for it. The only way that our sin could be paid for and the legal demands met is for us to be in Christ who is the perfect man, the God-man who died for us and paid all of it. He took care of the legal barrier. That is the first half of the union. You are in Christ. The legal barrier is gone. But the second barrier is the relational barrier and that is self. We still have, as I showed you last week, my beautiful picture of Old Dead Drew um, if, you, if you were here, of that dummy that looked remarkably like me um, and sounds like me and all those kind of other things, there's nothing he could do to live the life on, him, on his own because he's self-focused. He needed to have Christ be in him in order to live a transformed life. And that's what we need. We overcome the legal barrier by faith in Jesus Christ. We overcome the self-barrier by beginning with the four most liberating words you could ever speak, and they are simply this. Let me put them on the screen. In fact, let's, let's say them all together. These four words. It's not about me. Wow. We know that, but if we're dead honest, we don't live that. It impacts everything about us, our careers, our families, the moment we wake up, the moment we fall asleep, we're thinking about me. And the first thing I need to remind myself of, of a continue base, on a continual basis is it's not about me. If I keep the focus on me, I will never walk united with Christ. Instead, I have to turn my eyes off myself and say it is all about Jesus. That's where life is found. We will never find joy, real joy, if we're focused on ourselves. That's part of what he means here in verse six in 1 John chapter one. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, while we walk this self-focused life, we lie and do not practice the truth. If in reality, life is about me, I'm lying when I say I'm united with Christ. Because I have placed myself as a barrier between me and God. God's already done all the work to take away the legal barrier, but the relational barrier is something He wants to work in you and through you by giving yourself to Him. The relational barrier is what creates hypocrisy, and God hates hypocrisy. If I say I belong to God and I live for myself, I'm lying. My walk, the way that I live, proves whether or not the testimony that I say is true or false. You see, I only really believe what I obey, and I only really obey what I believe. I can't walk with God and be the one who sets the direction of my life at the same time. Because He is God and not me. So the first step is to start with God and not yourself. That's what John does in this passage. God is light. He starts focusing in on who God is. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. We have to start focusing in on God and submit ourselves to him so that the barrier that keeps us from enjoying his presence can be removed. We are to live for his life for his greatness because ultimately that's where life is found and that's where we will experience the greatest good. The contrast is found in verse 7. He says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we do have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So the second step is this. We're to step out of the shadows of guilt and into the light of his presence and grace. And when we understand that life is about him, it sets us free to love one another in ways that nothing else can do. Because the truth is, your life and my life is probably filled with relationships that are a little irritating or annoying to you. Anybody have any of those? Where there's there's people that seem to just continually get on your nerves? How do you deal with that? Well, you deal with that by focusing on God and saying, it's all about Him, and I don't have to change that person. I don't have to be in control of them. In fact, what I'm going to ask God to do is ask God to help me see them through His eyes. I'm going to release the control. I'm going to step out of the shadow. And I'm going to say, Lord, show me how to love them. Whether they respond or not, doesn't matter. It's not my problem. It's not my control. It's not my responsibility. I'm gonna focus in on you so that I can walk free. And the same thing happens in ourself. The guilt can be lifted when our focus is on him. God has overcome the relational barrier through Jesus Christ, and he's changed who we are when you come to faith in him. Um, our nature is no longer one of sin, but of God's light and likeness. Now he tells us to live like who Jesus saved us to be. And he goes further in his analogy to show another barrier that must be removed. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We need to look at our own culpability, at our own nature, at our pride that gets in the way and deal with it honestly. Don't try to hide it. Anytime we try to hide to try to make ourselves look good, we are stepping out of the light of God's presence into the shadow. And you'll never find life in the shadow. I mean, it's just like watching a plant grow. It needs sunshine. Spiritually, you and I need the light of God's presence in order to have life and not to wither and die. The second relational barrier is also one of blame. We tend to place excuses on our own actions and blame others. This is what happened even in the garden. But when we recognize that there's nothing I could do to take care of my sin, God has done it all for me, then blame goes away because the focus, again, is on him. And we can humbly bow ourselves before the God who loves us And know that he embraces us with his fellowship. So to remove the barriers, we start with God, submit to who he is, and focus on him. We step out of the darkness and into the light by surrendering blame and humbly choosing to take responsibility for our own actions and decide to live for God. And then he gives us one more step to make to come closer into his presence. He says in verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The next step is simply to take sin seriously. Not because we have to pay for it, but because we recognize it is keeping me from intimacy and union with Christ. And he's made the way out of that incredibly simply. We just call it what it is. We're honest before him. The Scripture in 1 Corinthians tells us that when we come to the Lord's Supper, to communion, we need to come with a heart that is clean. That We look at the sin in our life and we confess it. We say, Lord, you know what I've done. But, But confessing it not only looks at the actions, it goes beneath that and looks at the heart that caused it. It exposes the reality of our motives. and allows them to have God's light shine on it so he can take that away as well. You see, when we confess, pride is defeated. When I recognize what I have done, the choices that I make that are outside of the will of God, and I confess, Lord, and ask him to cleanse me, of that choice, and to change me, that's where I step back into the light. Last, last week I was using road signs, so I, I decided to, to use a road sign to, to talk about confession and repentance, and it's really simple. There's only one way out of a dead end, you turn. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. There's a, but you'll remember it, I promise. There's only one way out of a dead end, you turn. And spiritually, the only way out of a dead end, which is what all sin is, is that you turn to Jesus. That's all he asks us to do. He doesn't ask us to go do penance and feel incredibly horrid for our sin, although oftentimes that will accompany it when we realize the weight of what we have done. He simply says, come back to me. Turn around and stop going that way. Quit doing it because it's just leading you farther away from me. I want you to come back into the light and experience my presence. Well, that's how those sin barriers are removed. Now, that's all the negative side of dealing with the sin. What's the positive side? Well, if we're to walk in union with God, we need to know what he says about you and I. To walk united, we follow his identity and not our old self. That is incredibly, incredibly important. Because you see, the scripture tells us if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. This means that that old you, in my case, the old dead Drew, that's not who you are anymore. Your sin is not your identity. Yes, you've done it, but it is not who you are if you're in Christ Jesus. He has made you something far greater. And this is where guilt weighs in on our heart and our life because we have a tendency to get caught in a guilt cycle. And let me tell it, uh, show it this way. You know, we feel separated from God and from others, and that leads us into trying to earn approval from God. And so we begin to try to perform. Oh, I'm going to do better. But because we're trying to do it in our own strength, that leads to guilt because if we, if we fall or if we fail, we feel even more pressure, more guilt. And if we succeed, well, I've got to do more the next time. I've got to perform even better because the performance that I did didn't result in the intimacy I was hoping for. And so the guilt then leads to shame or striving, just trying to work harder and harder in our own strength, which again leads to feeling farther separated from God. And we get in this cycle where we, all we feel is guilt and failure. God does not want you to live that way. Jesus did not save you to be miserable in your guilt. He took the guilt and nailed it to a cross, erasing the record. So that can't be our identity. Our identity is based not upon us, but upon him. Your past does not disqualify you from living as an adopted child of God right now. No matter how bad it was, no matter how unacceptable you may think it may be in the eyes of a religious person or of the church or of your family or whoever it is, that does not disqualify you because we can't be qualified. Only Jesus is. There is nothing you have done that makes God love you less, and there is nothing you can do that will make him love you more. He simply calls you to walk united with him, to exchange your old identity for his identity. His love flows from who he is and not how well you and I perform. And that is incredibly good news. Now, we're gonna, we're gonna look at why that's not a license for us to do whatever we want in a moment. But first, I want you to think about where you are. Are you wrestling with guilt? Do you struggle with continually feeling inadequate and unacceptable? Are you living under the weight of guilt rather than walking united with Jesus Christ by grace? Here's some thoughts. See which ones apply to you. I live as though my actions will make God or others approve of me. If so, you're living in a guilt old identity rather than the freedom of Christ's identity. I continually become preoccupied with myself. I am critical and judgmental. That is actually a symptom showing you that you're in a guilt cycle. Because your way for, of dealing with your own guilt is that you're now judging other people. This is why Jesus is so specific about condemning the hypocrisy of the Pharisees is because they're simply trying to peel, pull other people into their own guilt cycle rather than coming to Christ to find life. Have you developed a performance lifestyle for yourself where you kind of feel like in reality you're that, that mouse on the wheel, you know? I mean, you've all seen those little, little hamster wheel you know, and you just keep running and they, they go faster and faster and faster and never get anywhere until eventually they get flung off into the side of the cage. It's just amazing. It's such a picture, oftentimes, of a performance life. I've been in the cage more times than I like to count. Does fear and anxiety dominate your thinking? Do you feel like you must try harder? Do you pull away from loving others? you feel distant from the love of Christ and it affects how you care for others and and your desire to even reach out to them and show them the love of Christ. Maybe one of the most difficult ones is, in reality, if you honestly assess your life, do you genuinely believe that God will not change you? and he will not change others. Instead, I must work for it on my own. That's the guilt cycle. What God wants us to do is to step out of the darkness into his light, into the union that we have with him, To take our eyes off of the failure and the messages of defeat and remember God chose you and calls you and loves you because our identity in Christ is based upon our birth, our spiritual birth, and not our behavior, not our performance. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. In Christ Jesus, you are brand new. Jesus has given you and me his righteousness. Righteousness. That's what's represented by his blood in the cup in communion. We are covered with his sacrifice, with his perfection, with his purity. That's the only thing we can stand in, not anything we've done ourselves. Our position is secured because we are in Christ Jesus. But then when we recognize that he is also in us, It gives us his ability and his power to live differently. So what does the Bible say about you and I, about our true identity? I put this in your sermon notes because I want to encourage you to focus in on these truths. Because when you truly believe them, God will use his word to transform the reality of your experience to make it more like the reality of who he says you are in him. Those two, the experiential truth and the reality of what God has won for you will come closer and closer together. So let's look at some of these these things. In Christ, these things are true. If you place your trust in Christ, these are absolutely true about you. Not because you're so wonderful and super, but because God is. There is no condemnation for us. What should that do to our guilt cycle? If God says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, then the guilt is not coming from Him. God will convict us of sin, but conviction does not lead to feelings of despair and discouragement. Conviction leads to a change of direction so you can be free. It's radically different. We have this promise. You can never be separated from God's love, according to Romans 8.39. What should that do with your fear? If you're struggling with anxiety day by day, when you, maybe it's in the workplace, maybe it's in your, in your family, maybe you're, you're really worried about having a conversation with someone. Well, if you know for sure at, that the reality, that the promise of God based upon his character is that he, you cannot be separated from him and from his love, what do you have to fear? You see, this was the attitude of the early church, It's why they could face persecution is because they knew that they could not be separated from the love of God no matter what circumstances happened to them. If their body was tortured or killed, it could not separate them from the love of God. They were in Christ, and now they were asking Christ to be in them and to live his life through them. We are a new creation. We already read that. We have become God's children, adopted. And this is is such a beautiful thing. Adoption is such an incredible, beautiful picture of salvation. You you know, when you have your your children naturally, you know, as part of uh, coming out of your your, your marriage, that's a beautiful gift. But quite honestly, you don't know what you're going to get, right? I mean, you hope it's going to work out pretty good, but you don't really know. When you adopt, they're already there. You already see a glimpse of who they are and you're saying, knowing that I want you as my child. That's what God has done for us. It's not just based on some heritage that we have. It's based upon his loving choice to say I want you as my child. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says we have every spiritual blessing. That means every resource that you and I need, God has already given to us. So if we're not experiencing it, it's because we're not walking in his light. We're not allowing him to transform who and what, who we are and what we do. I want to encourage you, spend some time looking at these. Ask questions. And, and maybe there's something there you don't understand. Send me an email and we can talk about it. Or I can at least give you some more information about any of these things because this is the identity Jesus Christ has won for us. And he wants us to walk as if it's true because it is. Walk in the light of his presence. It's oftentimes hard for us to take this and get it from our mind into our life experience. And the thing I can say that's encouraging is it's the same about any relationship. When Becky and I first got married, I knew that much about being a husband. After 34 years I now know this much about being a husband, but I am really thankful for that growth. You know, it's a a much better reality than it was at the beginning. The same is true with us spiritually. It's it's what happens in a relationship. We grow in that. God wants you to have it. And he wants you, here, here are some truths that he wants you to experience. He wants you to be able to run to the Father because you know that he loves him. He know You know that he loves you, excuse me. He wants you to believe what Zephaniah 3.17 says, that God delights in you, that he sings over you. That's what he says in his word. He wants you to believe that not only are you forgiven, but you're given his righteousness. He wants you to be able to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you without them having to earn it, without trying to control the circumstances. He wants you to receive by faith this new identity as a son or daughter of God with all the privileges and rights that come with it. God wants you to walk united with him. And it begins by understanding our identity in him. When we understand we are united, the the last point that I would make is to walk united with Christ, we become more and more like him. Our behavior does not determine our identity, but our behavior should reflect our true identity. When I recognize that God has said, you are holy, because that's what he says in his word in 1 Peter, I want my life to look more and more like his holiness. I want him to examine the areas, the choices that I have made in my life that are outside of his character, and ask for his grace and his strength to turn around and have his life be lived through me and make me more like him. We began at the very first message of this series of saying only say yes to decisions that will lead you in the direction of becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's how this works out. To walk united with him, we ask him to make the reality of who we are and how we live match the identity he purchased for us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 says it this way. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's my prayer day after day. Lord, by your strength, by your grace, enable me to walk as you walk. Enable me to love as you love. Enable me to encourage, to strengthen, to care, to help, to serve as you've served. And here's the thing. I don't know about you, but there's almost no physical feeling that is more rewarding than when you're cold and and you've been in the dark, to be able to step into the brilliant warmth of sunshine, maybe coming through uh, through a, a skylight, And you step into that beam of light, and just every part of you just begins to to feel that warmth, that radiate, radiating, wrapping around you. That's what it's like to walk in union with him. And that's what he wants for us, moment by moment, to live in his presence. So, how do we get there? Let me just give a really simple practical exercise. The best way I know to begin that, to really begin to change understanding of your identity is to change the conversation in your own head because most of us, we start the day and any moments when our minds aren't actively doing some project or are engaged in something, the I thoughts come. I want to do this. I'm thinking this. What are they thinking about me? And and it's all... revolves around me or I. The way to see that change is begin to change your I thoughts to we prayers. I am in you, Christ Jesus, and Christ Jesus, you are in me. What would you like to do today? Where would you like to go? Where would you like for me to be? What would you like for me to say to this person When we begin to change the I thoughts into we prayers, it changes the trajectory of our life because it is in recognition that we truly are united with Jesus Christ. The Lord gave us another reminder of this union as portrayed in the cup and in the bread. The cup represents us being in Christ that Jesus died for him, his, or excuse me, died for us. His righteousness covers us. His blood was shed to pay the penalty of sin and to clothe us in his righteousness. That is that first half of the union. We are in Christ. The bread is a picture that Jesus is life. He is the bread of life. It represents Christ in you. Just as bread gives fuel to our body to live, Christ in you gives fuel to your spirit to walk united with him, to have him transform your life to becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. So when we come and we partake of the bread and of the cup, we are remembering not only what Jesus has done, but we are remembering both halves of being united in him, that we are in Christ and that he is in us. And my prayer for each of us today as we come and partake of the bread and of the cup is that the Lord will bring conviction of sin so that we can turn from it, so that he can cleanse us, and so that we will understand he is offering us his very life to walk with us in union with him if you can't remember a time or a place where you've trusted Jesus Christ, today's the day to do that. Because he has already done all the work. You can't earn it. You can't. There's nothing you can do except simply call upon the name of Jesus. I want to urge you to do that today if you've never done it. For the rest of us, for those who have already made that step, today is a day to recognize that you are united with Christ. It is a present reality Now, Lord, would you enable me to live like it's true? Show me who I am in you. Not what other people say about me, not what my past failures say about me, but about who you say I am in you. And then make that truth a reality in how I live. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you that you invite us to have communion, a union with you. Lord, I pray that you would take these truths and you, through your Holy Spirit, would allow them to speak, to write where each person is here today. Lord, they they pass through any confusion that has been there, any attempts of the enemy to to steal your truth away. Lord, that you would minister to their heart, bring encouragement to those, Lord, who, who are caught in that guilt cycle, set them free. And bring joy, Lord, into hearts and lives. Lord Jesus, as we come to the table today, we remember your perfect life. We remember that you are God. We remember that you willingly laid down your life as a sacrifice for us. That you paid the price. Your blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins as is represented in the cup. Lord, you said that um, on the night before you were uh, betrayed, you took the cup and blessed it and said that this cup is the new covenant. It is my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins of many. Lord, we drink it this day in remembrance of you. Lord, you also took the bread and you said, this is my body which is given for you. You, Lord Jesus, are the bread of life. You are the giver and sustainer of our life physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So Lord, in partaking of the bread, we recognize your ongoing provision of your life within us. Help us to live as if it's true. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let me invite the servers to come and and then as, as we sing and we worship, We invite you to come and partake of the bread and the cup that represents our union in Christ.